Good morning. I am not Scott. Oops. Pastor Mike here. Uh, you're going to have to deal with me for one more week because this week we are closing out our summer series, Faith That Work, which means we are ending our journey through the New Testament book of James. Which one, where does the time go? We are all dying. But more importantly, too, <laughs> too, if we can get past this existential crisis of summer being too short, I have loved, and I mean loved, going through this book with y'all. Has anyone else enjoyed this wild ride through a wild letter? Yeah. I just love the book of James. I mean, it has taken us back to the basics of our faith. He has reminded us, one, that the Christian faith always comes back to that central commandment of Jesus, love God, love neighbor. That's what it's all about. And two, relatedly, that such a faith grounded in loving God and loving neighbor is fundamentally a verb. That it's about both hearing and, as James says, doing. Both what we know about Jesus and then how we live like him, tangibly in our relationships, in our world. That's been the central premise of James, that faith in Jesus is meant to be something that works for us and others in this world. That faith isn't just a thought exercise, like we often kind of trick ourselves into believing. It was always designed by God to do something, to move us into deeper and deeper experiences of his love, and then to let that transform us into active conduits of that love to others, to our neighbor. Has anyone enjoyed hearing that this season? And we've seen James take this central premise and apply it to all these critical topics. He invited us into a faith that works on how we respond to suffering, accepting it, finding God within it, transforming it into a pathway of growth. We've seen that he gave us a faith that works on our desires and what we consider wisdom, what we seek to relinquish that desire for power, money, what's impermanent. Does anyone remember the mist thing? <laughs> Only one. We relinquish that so we can discover real treasure and embrace radical generosity to the poor. A faith that works on how we do conflict. Was anyone challenged by that one? Mm-hmm. Amen learning not to use our words for harm, surrendering control, pride, judgmentalism, resentment, retaliation, so we can actually take part in God's work to heal and renew his good world. A faith that works on how we name and deconstruct our prejudices, confront injustice, reject the cycles of violence and oppression that have broken our world, finding a better way, learning not to be swept up by the chaos around us, the nations that rage, and so much more. James is an old book, but has anyone felt that he had a lot to say about us today? I don't know about you, but there are moments when I was reading the letter where I thought he was writing directly to me. It may be his letter, but y'all, he read my mail. He got into my business. Anyone else? Well, tragically, Today we arrive at the end. And in classic James fashion, he closes like unlike any other New Testament letter. He provides no summary argument, 
No greetings and goodbyes. Instead, he briefly engages four completely different topics, and then the letter just ends abruptly. No country for old men style, let the reader understand. I had to get one more movie reference in. <laughs> Which, if you've been following along for James, is pretty on brand, right? He ends with like, I've told you what to do, now go. Go do it. You know the answer. Go pass the test. There's no real concrete coherency to what we're going to go through today, just as a warning. He really does just kind of boop, 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 bop around. I promise I'm not just bad at my job. What he does is he simply closes with four final nuggets of wisdom concerning one very loose thematic thread. Community. Our life together as the church. Four wise principles for healthy Christian community after which James sends us into the world to act accordingly based on everything he's taught. Are y'all ready to close out James? I can't hear you. What? Let's do it, Lindsay. Chapter 5, verse 12. <laughs> Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So James starts above all, which is actually a letter trope from this time pyramid, pyramid, period, which essentially means above all before I forget, right? Like, oops, a couple more things to tell you. And then he begins dispersing these closing pieces of wisdom. The first concerns oaths. Now, this is the ancient practice of evoking God's name as a witness while making a promise. So you're basically swearing by heaven, earth, God's name, etc to give your commitment a little more oomph in the eyes of the person you're talking to, which we still do today in our own ways. When trying to make someone believe us, who says, I swear to God to trick your parent into believing your obvious lie? <laughs> who, when in trouble, tries to obscure? What I mean by that is you just start talking around the issue at hand, or you bring up other issues, obscuring, not owning the truth. Anybody? I'm the only one. Cool. Maybe this one won't get you. Who's so afraid of letting people down that when anybody asks you to do anything, you just say yes? Knowing that you'll probably cancel on them when the time comes or just straight ghost them and not respond at all. Anybody? Who feels called out? Yeah. It's human. But what James believes is that for a community to be healthy, it has to go. All of that has to go. Quoting Jesus, James prohibits this use of exaggerated language, of promise-making entirely, because what he gets is that it so easily warps into manipulation. Don't buttress your words with more words. Don't fluff up your speech to try to convince someone of something. Don't overpromise. Don't not respond. When you are asked to commit to something, simply say yes or no and follow through accordingly which I love. You can have boundaries. You can say no. Just be brave enough and have the integrity to be honest and forthright. That honors Jesus' commandment. Does manipulation or insincerity define God or show our love for God? Yes or no? No. Then don't do it with your speech. Do you love when people are dishonest, insincere, manipulative, unreliable with you? No! Do you think that loves your neighbor as yourself then? No! Don't do it, James says. 
First principle that we're going to walk through. In community, speak with simple honesty and transparency. You have to have this for a healthy church. Let your yes mean yes, your no mean no. Be people who can be trusted to say what they mean and mean what they say. Nothing more, nothing less. Can I get an amen? Amen. And I wasn't kidding. New topic. (laughs) Verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. So, James now turns to three conditions a community might face within it and three corresponding responses. First condition, someone in the community is in trouble. And what this really means is that someone is struggling. And what does James tell them to do? He tells them to pray. Now, pop quiz. Who remembers what James instructed concerning praying through trials and suffering? Anybody? You should do it. Nailed it. (laughs) It entailed three things, right? He didn't tell us to pray that the suffering would leave us. He wanted to change how we respond to suffering. He said, do these three things. First, pray for wisdom. How can I reflect Jesus and how I respond to this suffering? Two, trust God's generosity. God gives wisdom to anyone who asks for it. He will guide you in how to respond if you write, ask for the right thing and the right motives. How do I respond like Jesus would? And three, when he does tell you how to respond like Jesus, what do you do? Act accordingly. You do it. James tells the suffering to feel, sit with, pray through their pain. And he tells the community to let them, which seems like a strange thing. Let someone suffer, but y'all, this is good wisdom. When someone is suffering, we can't fix it. Our calling is to come alongside them, offering presence, care, solidarity, prayer, wisdom, loving them in their pain, like Jesus did. Second condition, someone in the community is happy, which is a really bad translation. In Greek, this means more enthusiasm or confidence while under stress. The community's experiencing pressure, right? And someone in it is trying to uplift other people. They're being positive. They're being hopeful. Ew. But James says, let them. Let them. Don't drag them down if that's not where you're at. It's okay that you're not there, but let them encourage others. Praise God for their strength to do so. And finally, the third condition, someone is sick, which covers any physical, spiritual, emotional, or weakness. Everything from being ill, frail, old, needy, to near death, someone, for whatever reason, in this community is sick and tired of being sick and tired. How did Jesus respond to such people? Did he neglect them when they called out to him? No, he moved towards them, comforted them, healed them, lifted their spirits. James says, do that. If you're frail physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, reach out to the elders, he writes. And this isn't our wise counsel like it sometimes appears in other letters, 
When James uses this term, all he's talking about are those who are known to be wise. Those in the community that we know love God, love neighbors, someone farther down the road of faith than ourselves. And such people respond like Jesus. That's what James calls them to do. Move towards the sick. Provide holistic care. Pray for them. Pray with them. Attend their needs. James says, do this, and they will be made well. In this language of healing, when it's associated with the kingdom of God and the gospels, what it denotes is liberation from what's burdening somebody. It's a liberation that occurs when God's kingdom touches the broken and restores it. Through you, James promises God will lift them up. Whether they're healed or not, you can ease their suffering. You can strengthen them with your presence. You can let them know they're not alone. You can be the touch of God's kingdom in their situation. Does anyone want to be that for someone else in this community? Second principle, meet people where they are at. Some are struggling. Don't try to fix them or tell them to suck it up. Be present. Let them hurt. Let them feel what they feel. Help them carry their burdens as they do. Someone is trying to build God's kingdom despite stress. Don't quench their enthusiasm, you Debbie Downer. Let them, encourage them to continue on. They're doing God's work. Others are frail. They're sick. They're needy. Strengthen their spirits. Care for them. Meet people where they are. Love them like Jesus. Trust God with the rest. That's good wisdom, y'all. And around we go. Where we stop, no one will know. Next topic, confession. That's totally related. Anyway, James writes, if they have sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You see, for Israel, confessing sins was both a communal and a private affair. It was commanded by God that they practice both. We confess our sins individually to God, but we also confess them to others in community, which James believes should continue in God's church. And Protestants get all weird about this stuff because confession sounds too Catholic. <laughs> Let me assuage your, your worried little heads. He says, to one another, which means to each other, not a priest, not a church office. He says we should do that. We should be open and honest with each other about our misgivings, where we failed, where we're struggling. See, for James, confession is about the intertwining of our lives. Koinonia, fellowship, this thing that he believed should define Christ's church, which makes a lot of sense in light of knowing that everyone is broken, that God offers grace, that Christ's kingdom heals the weary. The church should be the one place on this entire stupid planet without the isolation of shame, the stigma of failure, the destruction of judgmentalism, it should be the one place on God's earth where we are open and honest about our shortcomings, small, large, past, and present. 
telling them to God and to others, not so we can be ashamed, but so we can heal. Because you can't heal what you don't name. The church should be the place where we are unafraid to name brokenness because there is no condemnation in Christ, y'all. And when someone does that, when someone names what's wrong, do we judge and condemn them, according to James? Do we scold, shun, and shame them? Do we tell them to come back when they've got their life in order? No, he says we give grace in all things, period. He says someone comes to you and they confess what's wrong. You heal the weary. You burden the spirit of the, or unburden the spirit of the weak. James says that such prayers, like the prophet Elijah, accomplish much because they're alive, they're working, they're energizing, they're operated as God intended. Has anyone ever felt the disorienting freedom that comes when you can't hide brokenness anymore? You're so tired of it. So you tell someone, sure, that they'll be disgusted, they'll pull back, they'll hate you. But they just say, me too. You're not alone. I've been there. God loves you. I love you. Let me help. Has anyone ever felt that before, where you somehow feel both liberated and simultaneously stupid for suffering so long in isolation for a shame that wasn't even real? Y'all, that is where I have been, and it heals the wary. Third principle, the church should be defined by radical vulnerability, authenticity, and grace-giving. People who, through confession and grace-giving, learn not to suffer under shame, who share brokenness because they know through God's grace we have nothing to fear about being honest about who we are. And finally, spin the wheel of random topics. Last topic, and then we're done with James. Verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Someone wanders from the truth, James writes, which remember for James includes both what we know about Jesus and how we act like Jesus. In other words, this person has failed to love God or neighbor with their actions or they've abandoned the faith community entirely. How should we respond if they were to come back? Well, in most tribes of this world, you don't let them. You make them beg. Maybe push it in a little more. Not at the church. This is powerful. Notice James says nothing of discipline. He simply says you forgive, reconcile, and restore that person. He says this response holds the potential to save them from death and cover over their mistakes. And there's so much I could say about this, just on time today. But just briefly, I have talked before about the Jewish concept of the two ways of being alive, which James is referencing here when he talks about death. You see, there was this belief that there were two ways that we could choose to live before God. There's the way of life that's truly life, living deeply connected to God, experiencing and creating peace and wholeness. And then there was the way of life that's actually death living disconnected from God, the source of life, experiencing and creating and perpetuating brokenness, isolation, violence, destruction. James says that when you respond to someone who has lost their way with forgiveness, reconcilia reconciliation, and restoration, that this response both grounds us 
and the way of life that's truly life, and it carries the potential to restore the wanderer to it also. It gives them the potential, the chance to release their wounds, to end their isolation, to heal. The way of death stirs, it wars, it alienates, but the way of life calms, loves, restores, and reconciles. Does anyone want to be a part of that way in this church? Fourth principle, and I love this. This is a Brian Stevenson quote. We are all more than the worst thing we've ever done. The church must believe at the core of its being that nothing and no one is beyond redemption and grace. And then it has to act accordingly. And with that, the letter just ends, leaving us to reflect and act on what it said, taking this faith that works and deciding where we need to change. For today, though, I just want to close by focusing on faith working on how we do community. It's really hard to pull these disparate threads together into a common metaphor. James bounces all over, as you all saw. But what I kept coming back to this week was one life experience. You see, on our honeymoon, Ricky, my wife, and I drove up the coastal highway of California, stopping at Redwood National Park. And y'all, I have seen stunning things in my life, but very few things have ever left me speechless. And the redwoods were one of them. If you've never been, this is an entire forest of trees that go upwards of 300 feet tall, 12 feet wide. I mean, it is awe-inspiring. And I know this projector's broken, so y'all are going to have to get the smaller screen. But I brought some pictures. This is me looking up at one of the base of these trees. For some perspective, here's me standing next to this tree. Can y'all imagine... That is like eight of me wide. I don't even know how that works. Here's one of Ricky standing under a fallen one. It's bonkers, y'all. It's absolutely insane. I remember feeling like I was walking amongst something of legends. Like, how can a tree be this big, this tall? But you know what's fascinating? Redwoods have shallow roots. They stretch hundreds of feet into the sky, but their roots only go about three feet deep. How? Why? Why don't they fall down? How on earth are they not shorter, right? Well, the answer is fascinating. I think it's beautiful. You see, instead of going down, redwood roots grow out. They extend about 50 feet in every direction and intertwine with the roots of the redwoods around them forming an almost quilt-like interconnected root structure that makes them incredibly durable through storms, through winds, despite their height. It allows them to share nourishment when the climate changes. And together, it gives them the ability to grow far taller than any single one could do on its own. That's what James envisions for the life of the church. A community of people whose roots spread out far and wide and get intimately and fully intertwined. People living together with simple honesty who trust and hold each other up through the storms and the winds. Each person connected to someone else so that when anyone calls out and struggles, the community knows and can respond with holistic care. A forest of people who through grace are unafraid to be vulnerable and authentic with their lives, warts and all, all of whom 
meet each other where they're at and move forward together beyond past failures. Finding forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. A community whose interconnectedness in Christ allows them to grow stronger and taller and more beautiful than they have any right to on their own. Far larger than if you just counted the sum of their individual parts would make any sense to this world. James envisions a community whose radical acts of compassion, love, and care for one another produces the same speechlessness and awe that the Redwoods did for me. People left speechless by the generous care given to those in need, by the community's willingness to be present with the sick, to mourn with those who mourn, to celebrate with those celebrating, to refuse to shame or hide our world brokenness our world tells us to hate. A community that leaves people speechless because they bring in the wanderer. They reconcile the lost. They heal the wounded and they say no one is too low for God's grace to find. A community that leaves people in awe because they witness the divine love and grace that defines it, which makes no sense to this world. Does anyone want to be that church in this coming season? Not a few people with strong, deep roots holding it all together, though. A community where each person does their part, intertwines their roots, and helps create a community of life where every tree can grow beyond what they thought was possible before they arrived. That's faith that works on community. That's what the church should be all about. That's how James ends his letter. And with that in mind, I give you two challenges for this next season. They're simple. Don't start sweating. First, where do you need to get interconnected? Are you in a growth group? Are you part of a service team? Because if you're not, you're missing out. And someone else is missing out because of that choice too. You see, we need to take this step together this fall. And we can't help with problems that we don't know exist. We can't care for hurting people that we don't know are hurting. Someone else in this community needs you. They need your story. They need the gift that it is. They need to hear me too. I've been there. Let me help you. We can't grow in isolation, y'all. Get plugged in. Get connected. That's the first challenge. And second, as we welcome the Martin family to E3, I challenge you all to draw them into our root system. Reach out. Offer care. Invite them in. Intertwine our lives with theirs. And let's do all we can to create an environment where they find stability, nourishment, encouragement, and above all, growth. Let our faith work on how we welcome, love, and help this family so they can become who God wants them to be. And in turn, watch as their faith works on us to make us the community God believes E3 can be. Amen? Amen. You think we can do that? Okay.